is I'm going to talk with you this morning about correction and being corrected about things. And I'll tell you, it's something that most of us don't like to be corrected and so forth, but it is a fundamental part of what it means to be a New Testament Christian. I dare say that you cannot be a Christian unless you're willing to be corrected. Uh, it's just not going to happen because repentance and turning away and changing your course of action is one of the fundamental things that must be accomplished before you can even become a Christian, much less remain a Christian in God's service to be corrected. And yet, uh, none of us like that. And I think that is probably a particularly true in this post-modern era that we live in, post-postmodern era, in which there is no such thing as truth. Everybody is their own little arbiter or dictator. Really, everybody's their own little god. They get to determine you know, what sex and gender they are and what they're going to do and how everything is. They get to determine everything about their entire existence for themselves. And I don't think correction fits into that worldview very well. Okay, But it is the fundamental thing about serving Christ. We, we can go through the Bible and we can spend, there's so much in there, you know, it's, I had to pick out a few things to even begin to talk about this. But let's just start in a simple place in the book of Proverbs. And when you go to the book of Proverbs, what you see is uh, the book is just filled with this. In fact, that really is the purpose of the book of Proverbs, to give you wisdom, he says. And you can read the first three chapters, you see He's trying to give people, wisdom is knowing how to live. It's not knowledge. As the illustration I use, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Okay, So there's a difference there uh, of how wisdom and knowledge work together. Knowledge, people today know a lot of things, but they don't necessarily know how to live. And especially how God would have them to live we don't have that kind of wisdom. And that's what that's the difference between the wisdom of the Hebrews and the wisdom of the Greeks and Romans back in the ancient time, ancient world. The Greeks and Romans thought wisdom was about knowledge and and some things like and there was a broader definition and knowing things, being educated, but the the book of Hebrew the Bible reflected in the Hebrew writing of the wisdom literature says that wisdom is about knowing how to serve God, knowing how to live in the world that we are. And so it's very practical. But one of the things he says early on in this book, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. As we've said before, despise is a word that doesn't mean hate. It means to look down on, to count as being nothing. To despise it means to look down on it and say it isn't really worth much. So when God chastens you or when you are chastened by the word of God, and that means corrected and said, this isn't good, this is better, don't do this, do this, that's chastening. And it can take a lot of forms. With my dad, it took the form of a belt sometimes, you know, or, you know, grounding or whatever it might be and his chastening. And, and it's easy when you think you're smarter than your dad or everybody else, to look down on that and say, that old man don't know what he's talking about. But do not detest the Lord's correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father the son in whom he delights. So I mentioned my father uh, on occasion whipped me and my brothers with a belt. And that is, a, today, I, heard, I felt all of you cringe in horror 
at that, you know, barbaric practice uh, uh, that you think that a person might have used a belt on his sons. And the reason my father used a belt is very simple, he told me, because when he was a boy, he broke his arm here several times. One time a girl stuck a stick out from him, he was roller skating down a hill. You know, he broke his arm here several times. And he had a metal plate in his arm, even though he was a big man, a metal plate with screws in there. One of them came loose as he was older, and he had an x-ray, and I said, Dad, you got a screw loose. Well, anyway, he really did. Literally have a screw loose. But anyway, uh, he said, the reason I'm using a belt, son, is very simple. This is supposed to hurt you and not me. So I'm going to use a belt. My dad was that kind of guy. Gentle, calm, easygoing. It's just, there were occasions when he just had enough of me saying, eh, eh, going to do it my way. Or ignoring what he was saying. And that was the time I was little. And my brother's the same way. There's four of us. And so he used a belt. He didn't use it that often. We thought it was a lot. But really thinking back, and he pointed this out when he was old, he said, I didn't spank you boys anywhere near what you think I did. But here's the point. He made it count when he did. And so we knew. And so most of the time it just took him going, what? That was it. I knew. It was done. And uh, so what I'm trying to say about that is my, my father, I know, I knew it then and I really know it now. He only did those things because he loved me. Absolutely loved his sons and would die for them. And therefore, he was not going to have me just grow up acting any old way I wanted to. Why? Because he loved me. And therefore, when you have any kind of wisdom about your children or even about the Lord, you know that this is a true statement that the Lord loves whom he corrects, just as a father, the son whom he delights. And there are, there are young people in this audience or old people in this audience right here who did not share my experience of having a father that loved them. And they'd probably trade a lot of their experiences growing up of being free for a dad who would whip them when they needed it. If they thought about it, because they would know that they were loved. They grew up not knowing if anybody really did love them. But I knew whether I knew it or not, I knew. And so the Lord's the same way with his children. He brings his word to bear on our hearts. And sometimes it's painful. He builds, he brings circumstances to bear on us that are difficult and corrective and cause us to stop and think. And I know people, I prayed for people. But the only thing I know that's going to help them is for their life to collapse around them. The only thing that will help some people I know is for their whole world to collapse around them in a heap. And then maybe they can get straightened out. Because everything else, nothing else I should say has worked. So the Lord loves whom he chases. We're going to get bogged down here. In Proverbs 12 he says, Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. And who, he who hates instruction or correction is stupid. Now, there it is in the New King James. Don't blame me. I know that's a politically incorrect word. That's a five-letter word, but I bet it's not in Wordle. You know, when the New York Times bought it, anybody know what Wordle is? It's a game. Huh? Don't, don't talk about this, Judy's saying. Six-letter word. Oh, I can't use that, can I? One, two, three. It's six. Oh, man. I was going to use that tomorrow. For wordle. 
That's one of my problems. You've got to be able to count to do words. That doesn't make any sense. Anyway, you know what they call that? There's a word for that. Stupid. <laughs> That's the word for that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it, 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 never mind. I won't go into Wordle then. You can't even use stupid. But they took out a lot of politically incorrect words. When the New York Times bought it, a whole bunch of words that were in the English dictionary, 400, there are 400,000 five-letter words in English, common words without plurals, and they took a bunch of them out because they weren't politically correct. So there's less than that in the little dictionary. Now, anyway, let's look at a few of these. First of all, let's talk about correcting yourself. This is the best way to be corrected. Correct yourself. And I see this in kids. I had five. I see some kids. Some kids would not be corrected by their father or mother. They don't, and they, and they didn't want to correct themselves. And eventually it ends up with the police having to do the correct. Let me tell you something. I say that to people and it's true. If you will not control your children, society will control your children. And the way society does it is with police or prisons. It's a, it's a horrible thing to contemplate for the child that you love. But if you will not try to bring correction upon your child, eventually society will control them. It's, I sigh because it's so painful to contemplate that this is what happens sometimes. But the best way to begin the process of correction is to correct yourself. And so really all effective discipline is self-discipline. What my father was teaching me when he would correct me, or my mother, was eventually to learn how to correct myself, to learn how to get this job done and realize, ah, there's a boundary, there's something, I shouldn't do that, and I shouldn't, and I stopped doing that, you know. Oh man, if I start telling you stories about what I did when I was a kid, what me and my brothers did, Back then, my parents, they, they would dig them up and arrest them. Anyway, from the grave. The way we were, the way we, things we did. But all effective discipline is self-discipline. And that's something you gotta remember. And nobody can do it. No, nobody in this church can help you to do the right thing if you won't eventually correct yourself. And it begins in the piercing spotlight of, of truth. And there it is. This is the real problem facing young people today. And I don't blame young people for this. I blame their parents and grandparents for this. Young people today aren't the problem. They're going to be the problem. They're, they're going to be the problem real soon. Probably a big problem, but they're not yet. You know, young people walk around with these phones and stuff. They act like they invented the internet. I mean, you know who invented the, you know who, well, Al Gore, besides him, you know who invented the internet was people my age. A bunch of old boomers invented the internet and all that other stuff that goes with it. It's people my age. All the uncool people did all that wonderful, fantastic stuff. And then some of their kids come along and improved it. You can't blame me for what my parents did. But I'll tell you this, they had an impact on me. And here it is today. Young people who are being taught that there's no such thing as truth, The truth is whatever you make it to be, whatever, if you can, Disney slogan, if you can dream it, you can do it. That kind of foolishness. Being taught that, that you can be whatever you want to be, and you can do anything you want to do. And that means you can change your sex if you want. You know, all that kind of stuff. And you can do this. The piercing spotlight of truth is going to slap those young people in the forehead someday. 
And they'll either be disillusioned or they'll be hurt, whatever it may be. Because truth is truth. Reality is reality and truth is truth. We can do great and wonderful and marvelous things. But there are limits to what man can do. And that is particularly true in the soul. Human beings are limited by the fact that the way God made us, and yet inside that limitation is great freedom and great possibilities. But the piercing spotlight of truth will eventually start correcting some people. I see it all the time now that I'm an old man and been around a while, and I see people of my generation they have, as they say, they've wasted their life. They tell me this. I'm here because I wasted my life. And I now know what I did was worthless. Thinking that I could do whatever I wanted in my life and I could drink and do drugs and ignore God all my life and have my own way and sleep with whoever I wanted to. This was the way to go. And they look back and they say, I wasted my life. This truth has hit them. And finally, even when they're old, they can make a correction. Thank God for that. I'm very thankful for those people to have that kind of wisdom. I'm not trying to criticize them. I'm very thankful for them. James 1 puts it this way, but he, be doers of the word and not hearers only. You can listen to stuff and act like you care, but if you don't do anything about it, what difference does it make? You, you're deceiving yourself. People talk a good game, but in the end, do they change what they do? Oftentimes they don't. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, he goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Now, my old illustration about this is, so uh, I get up in the morning, get ready for church here, come here, and I, I eat my, oh, I eat my, uh, I'll say a bowl of oatmeal, you know. Sometimes I do. And I come to church here, Oh, I get ready to leave. I look in the mirror and say, oh, you know what? I got a bunch of a glob of oatmeal on my beard. Huh, what do you know about that? I walk away. Come to church here. Somebody's talking. So we, you know, Mike, you got oatmeal in your beard. I said, yeah, I saw that. <coughs> Interesting, isn't it? And I just go on about my business. What kind of man is that? What kind of person is that? Well, he's a foolish person. Maybe that's not even the, that's not even the best description of him. In that case. But he says that's what you are when you hear the word of God or the words of a wise person saying, you got oatmeal in your beard and you say, oh yeah, I know. And you go on about your business and don't do anything about it. But he said, but see, one who is a hearer of the word and a doer responds to what they hear. And it's very difficult for people in modern society to say, nobody ever told me it's bad if I do drugs all day and play video games most of my life. Nobody ever told me that. Really? Where have you been? Nobody ever told me if I sleep with every girl in town, my life won't be worth much because I'll have a lot of people that don't like me and I still won't have anything in the end. They don't tell you that, do they? But he says, he who looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So the right man looks in the mirror and says, oh, I've got oatmeal on my beard, I'm going to clean it up. Fix it up as best I can, and then I go on about my day. And he goes on in his life, and somebody uh, corrects him about something else, says you need to stop doing that. You know, 
He fixes what's wrong. He looks at what's wrong. He figures out what's wrong. When I was a, when I was SpongeBob SquarePants back in high school and college, you know, I worked at the burger place and became the assistant manager. I was, you know, so conscientious and, you know, like SpongeBob. I loved it because I was so conscientious about everything and everybody. They made me assistant manager. It was such a disaster some days because I was younger than some of the people I was trying to be the boss of. It didn't work out. And the rest of the guys are guys I got hired because they were my friends at school. That doesn't work out. But anyway, I'm, I'm the manager. And I try to tell these guys what they should be doing. And they just simply will not change. Or not, They're late. I say, you can't be late. Okay. Next day, guess what? They're late again. You can't be late. You're going to get fired. Oh, late again the next day. Guess what happens? They get fired and then they get mad at me because I got them a job and they got fired from it. Other girls that had to work the front line, and I liked them. You know, they were pretty girls, so what's not the like? If a girl's pretty and you're in high school, that's all that matters, right? You know, I got them a job there and, and uh, try to tell them how to work. And they, they, they would, some days they would work, some days they wouldn't. And one day I come in, instead of, I'm worried, 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 on Friday night, all the hamburgers are piled, orders piled, where's the, where the girl supposed to be here? I go in the back restaurant and she's sitting up in the sink washing her feet and stuff on the sink because she's stoned. No. Completely stoned out of her mind. Her and her friend are helping each other back there. They're both stoned. Oh, anyway. You think she didn't know better than that? Do you really? She acted like, oh, I didn't know it was not okay to get stoned and come to work stoned and not be able to work. I didn't know that wasn't okay. Really? The word of God, he says in Hebrews 4, is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. That's how sharp it is. It's hard to divide soul and spirit. And the word of God can do this. And joints and marrow. My illustration of that, as you've heard me mention before, is the watermelon of the Rhine. We were boys. We liked that watermelon boy. We would eat it down that it was bright green. My dad said, you're eating the Rhine. Oh, no, we got it. I want to get all the red. So we eat past the red, past the pink, into the green. There was a line that divided the watermelon from the Rhine, right? I just We just kept crossing it. It's not always clear, but the word of God knows the difference of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Begin to examine people's behavior, including most importantly, your own behavior and why you do the things that you do. And and what's God's opinion or role in this? And and what you see is, is sometimes people can do exactly the same thing and one person is right when they do it, one person is wrong. And the difference of the two is why they're doing what they're doing. Two people can come to church. And one is right in that and blessed in that, and the other one is cursed in that. Because the one, one of them is coming to show off, or because of pride, or for revenge, or whatever the other motivations are. The other one comes to worship the Lord and to bless his brothers and sisters her brother and sister. The other one comes out of self-interest and they both do the same thing, but they do it for wrong reasons and they, they can't ever seem to discern this. They can't discern. What we need is to be able to discern why we do the things that we do. I've told you before, but I found out, I found out at some point in my life that the reason I do the things I do a lot of the time is because I want people to like me. Of course, 
My wife says, yeah, more or less what that you think you should learn that the things you do make people not like you. I said, well, yeah, but I think they should like me. Yeah, I know. But what you're doing makes people not like you. Oh, well, it's a hard life to live, but I want people to like me. Is that good or bad? Some of you, oh, that's bad. You should, shouldn't do things so people will like you. Just think of a world in which nobody did anything because so nobody would like them. Think of a world like that where nobody cared if anybody liked them or not. You want to live in that? Well, we're living in that world right now, partly, aren't we? Go to a store sometime. Try to interact with a clerk or somebody there and get some help. They don't care if they like you. They don't care if they have a job. They don't care if they get fired. They don't care if you report them. They don't care about anything except Friday afternoon when they get paid. A lot of them don't. How, what kind of world is that? Not a good world. And then there's that world where everybody only does things to like them and they're in church. And, and instead of doing things for the purpose of serving others, they do it so other people will like them. What kind of, what kind of world is that? It's a terrible world. So what you, the thoughts and intents of the heart are very important. There's no creature that's hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we must, to whom we must give account. God sees all this. He sees why you do the things that you do and why you don't, whether you can or not. What you need to pray for is wisdom to see that, understand that. And so can you use this trait that says, I need people to care about me. I need people to like me. Can you use that for good and to serve God? You can. Can it turn against you and make you, uh, make you a terrible person? Of course it can. And we're all born with traits like that. We all have traits. Does not caring what people think about you, is that good or bad? It's neither. Sometimes it'll serve you well because you'll do the right thing whether people care or not. Other times it makes you a, a terrible person because you ignore the needs of others and only do what you want. But the Lord can discern that. Here's a passage, I'm going to try to move along here, but here's a passage in 1 Corinthians 9 that I love. Paul's using the, not the Olympic Games, but the Corinthian Games, the Isthmus Games in Greece, which were precursors or like the Olympics in ancient Greece, to the Corinthians who lived there. And he says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you obtain it. So you see the pictures of the, of the Boston Marathon or New York Marathon. They got all those thousands of people on the bridge at the starting line, you know, all lined up. They all are going to run the race. And a few hours later, you see one little skinny guy from Kenya running in the stadium. You know, he wins the race. That's Paul's point here. Everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to run the race. But not everybody will run in such a way that they can win the race. Not everybody will run in a way that they can win because you've got people who look like me who want to run a Boston Marathon. So they get on, they start out, the guys look like me, start off, they got their, you know, uh, extra large running clothes on, you know, and, and they try to run. They, they get a couple hundred yards and stop for a drink and they run as wrong. Part way through, they stop at McDonald's to get refreshed so they can continue the journey. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate. Everyone who actually competes for the prize is self-controlled or temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. To win the race, you have to have self-control to know what it takes to run it, to understand the rules, to stay on course, to discipline yourself before and during the race, 
to do the things necessary to win the race. That's what's required to run the race, to actually try to win it. He said, now these people do this, and they think you're crazy because you come to church two or three times a week. You're a fanatic. And they will deny themselves every worldly pleasure or comfort just so they can lose that extra pound. But you're the fanatic. You get on a scale every day. If they get two ounces over, they have a panic attack and, and don't eat all day. You eat cottage cheese or some horrible thing like that just so they can lose it. But, but, they're, but I'm the fanatic. Here's the difference. They do these things with self-control so they can have a perishable thing. Should you not take as much care and concern when you're running a spiritual race, when you're trying to compete in this game? It, I, I know this doesn't sound like a Christian message. I want you to think about this, though. This is another big problem. The message that you're being told in Protestant thinking today is that works, they call anything that you do works, doesn't matter. It only matters what you feel in your heart. And God's going to only judge you by what you feel, by what your intentions. Is that what this sounds like here? No, it sounds like you need to be doing what's right, doesn't it? It sounds like you need to be paying attention about what you both think and do in life to make sure it's what God wants you to do to run this race that's set before us. And it takes self-discipline to do that. And self-discipline isn't just about your thinking, it's about how you act and what you do. And so when people, uh, something happens, they let out a stream of curse words using God's name in vain and all kind of other profanities. Oh, well, I'm sorry, I got a little carried away there. Well, okay. What's this say? This says, you know what, kind of, I, I don't, I guess I get a little bit irritated with that in a way. Because uh, I've hit my hand, I've hit my thumb with a hammer many times. Uh, if I, the next time I pick up a hammer, I'll probably do it. Now that I've said this, for sure I'm going to do it. Suppose you were with. I don't always let out a stream of curse words. I can tell you, I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you, I don't always let out a stream of curse words. Does that mean I don't think a couple of curse words? Well, most of the time I don't altogether, but. I used to. But some people think, well, you since you don't use profanity, you're, you just must be born that way. But me, oh, I, I can't control myself. Really? I can tell you from experience. I know how easy it is to get in the habit of cursing and swearing and using profanity. I know how easy it is because I used to work like SpongeBob SquarePants in an environment where everybody said whatever they wanted to, but even, even back then. And I fell right into that habit. I could, since I'm a word person, imagine how good I am at it. I'm so good at using words, and I could curse better than all my friends eventually. And I was calling myself a Christian. I'm not bragging about that. I'm ashamed of that. But I'm telling you that because that, that to let you know, I know personally how easy it is to get in the habit of doing something that's wrong and excuse yourself by saying, oh, I can't help it or I was born that way or that's just me. All the things we say when really all the, it, it, it was possible to do it. I'll never forget old Gus first. Maybe he's listening somewhere in the world. He, he was a car sale, used car salesman in Deerfield Beach when he, me and you were first married. Went to old Gus first. And this was back in 75. He's trying to sell me a car, sitting there, a young couple. He's cursing all the way along the way. 
GD this and all kind of other stuff, you know. And so then we we're filling out the application. He made the sale, going to fill out the application. What's your occupation? I said, minister. He's right. He looks up. And the poor man, he, he, he didn't know what to say after that. He couldn't hardly talk the rest of the time we were there. I, you could literally see him biting his lip. He, he was struggling so much. And I told him, I finally said, look, I, I've heard all those words. You can say, it. I mean, you know, that's up to you. I've heard them all. I know the words. Uh, God's not going to strike you dead just because you're saying them to me. Guess what? He could control his speech. He could, because he did. He did. Can you control your thoughts? Well, I'm going to tell you something. You better be able to control your thoughts at some point. If you can't control your thoughts, there's no hope for you to go to heaven. Can you control them perfectly every day, all the time? Are bad thoughts going to creep in? Bad mo- Yes. But control isn't about never having to touch the steering wheel. Control is taking the steering wheel and steering it. People think control is you can just let go of the steering wheel. No. Control is having a hold of the steering wheel because you need to have a hold of it and it's going to go one way or the other and you need to create. You're going to go one way or the other. So this is not a hopeless thing. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, not as a shadow boxer, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others I myself should be disqualified. So there it is. This is the correction that needs to happen. Paul, the apostle says, I have to correct my own body and my own actions continually so that even after I preach to others, I don't become disqualified by what I do. There goes another Protestant theology thing out the window that you can never be lost. Here's the apostle of the Lord saying I could end up being disqualified or as some versions say, a reprobate in this case. Well, our time is too far gone. That's only part one of, uh, first point of three. So I guess we'll do this some other time. But I do want to, I know we've been silly today, but I do want to help you understand that having self-control and being corrected is the struggle that all of us have together, both individually and as a group. We, we have to be willing to be corrected We have to first understand that there is a standard by which we need to live and we need to think and act. And then we need to bring ourselves into that that standard. It's not easy to do. It It takes concern for the Word of God. That's where it's all going to be. So how will you respond to the words of the Lord? Do they mean anything to you? Are you going to think about your actions, or are you going to give yourself the modern excuse of I can't control my thoughts, or, and going along with I can't control my thoughts, whatever I think must be good and right because it's my dream. And so you kind of flip back and forth between those two things. That's not the world that God says we should live in. You know, one group of people heard the Apostle Peter speak. He, he accused them of being murderers, murdering the Lord Jesus Christ by their arrogance and by their pride, by their wickedness. And, and When they heard this, it says, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He told them here that the thing that has to happen when you hear the words of God is you need to repent when you see where you've gone wrong. 
That means to change your mind and to turn. This is not what's being preached in a lot of places. It's not what's really understood by people. It's not a modern idea. Turn away from what is wrong. Sometimes you'll succeed and sometimes you'll fail. Sometimes you'll succeed for a while and you'll fail again and you have to keep doing it. But Peter's telling them, if you want to become a Christian, you need to repent and turn to Christ and then be baptized. And what happens there is, he's telling these people, be buried with Christ in water and wash away your sins and you can start off new again. Start off brand new. And then when you start off new as a Christian, you have the help of God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ to help you along the way. I can't do anything that I do in service to Christ by myself. So whatever good thing I do, I know it isn't me that's doing it. It's the Word of God doing it in me if I do it. And when I fail, it's because the Word of God isn't living in me. Then there's other people that heard his message when, when um, the Word was preached in by Stephen. In Acts chapter 7, when they heard these things, it says they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. There's two different people cut to the heart. Words of God came in them and hurt them and said, you're wrong. These people were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears, but literally put their hands over their ears and ran at him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. Two different responses to correction. Which one are you? They're both extreme in a way. They're both very telling. They both take you in a different direction. Are you the kind that put your hands over your ears, walk out of a place like this because I'm asking you to be to correct your thinking and get mad and turn away and decide I'm going to do whatever I want? Or can you be cut to the heart and turn to the Lord? I hope that you'll have the humble heart that says, I want to be just a Christian. I want to follow him, serve him, and I'm going to give up my will and follow the will of the Lord. If we can help you this morning, everything is ready for you to become a Christian. We have water right here. We have clothes for you to change into. We're ready and we'll pray that a person who needs this can respond to the gospel to become a Christian this morning. It's all ready. The question is, are you ready? Is your heart ready to become a Christian? Are you willing to give up that self-will that says, I'm going to do whatever I want and, and f- begin to follow Christ? No, I, I can't tell you where it'll take you, but I can tell you it'll take you to Christ. Or will you turn away? That's up to you. So if we can pray with you this morning, encourage you, let us know about that by coming right to the front row. Let's stand and sing.